So had you heard that European farmers need to start growing wheat? Well, if you hadn't, following the news of the war in Ukraine, food policymakers around the EU have started to talk about shortages of certain crops, and particularly wheat. Well, this is due to the large volumes of wheat that Europe has been importing from Ukraine, and actually Russia too, um, and the inevitable disruption to their farming and their exports because of this war. So we wanted to ask the question, is this even possible? And is this the answer? Turning immediately to someone with a mountain of grain knowledge, Andrew Workman of Danani Organic Farm in Drogheda, helped us to find the answer. Now, unfortunately, due to poor internet connectivity on his farm, Andrew couldn't join us for a chat, but he very kindly sent us this very detailed email. The statement encouraging or telling farmers to grow wheat seems to come from a total lack of knowledge about wheat. Firstly, the wheat we grow in Ireland is usually low in protein as it is the sun that puts the protein into our flour and gives it the elasticity to make a good yeast loaf. Soda bread, however, does not require high protein, so we could change our bread-eating habits. Most of the wheat grown in Ireland is used for feeding animals. It will be a major ingredient for pig and animal feed. A lesser amount is used in the dairy and beef sector. There is an argument for eating less meat, and maybe the feed wheat could then be diverted for human consumption. I do remember in the 80s, when I was a conventional farmer, waiting in trepidation if the wheat I had grown would pass the milling quality hurdles, and then there would be an argument about the price. Wheat, especially non-organic wheat, has a tendency to attract rust, moulds, and any soil-borne diseases that are around. The damp, wet Irish weather encourages all of these pathogens, hence the hefty spraying of these crops, so there could be health issues. The east coast and south counties would be more suitable. Wheat, also because of its vulnerability to all of these pathogens, has to be grown in a strict rotation so other crops would have to be considered and they would have to be financially rewarding as you could probably only grow wheat in one in four years. To grow wheat you will have to plough and with ploughing you will release carbon unless you can offset it on your farm, i.e. tree planting, etc. So that's it. I mean, he just put us back in our box, really. It's uh, (laughs) laying bare the realities of growing and milling right here in Ireland, isn't it? So not a good idea. And it's not exactly a simple answer to a simple question. And as we say, this really brings us to a hot topic, food security. Now, this is an academic subject and to be honest, one I wouldn't even dare speak about in detail. It's just such a web of cause and effect and those well-versed in food security and even helping to define what that title means will tell you that there is no simple answer to any of this. So... Yeah, can Ireland feed itself is the question that we're asking, and you'd imagine the answer is yes. Well, actually, it looks more like the question should be, could Ireland feed itself if the national food policy considered it a priority in advance with lots of years working on it? And then the answer would actually be yes, no? Well, to get into the nuts and bolts of this, we looked no further than Ruth Hagerty. Ruth recently penned an article for the Irish Times of the same name as this episode, which started us on this path. Yeah, and Ruth Hagerty is from Egg and Chicken. This is an agency with a focus on food, farming and sustainability. And Ruth has dedicated her career to advocating for small food producers and farmers. A fairer, cleaner food system, food education and access to good food for all. She's actually currently got her head stuck in the books doing a master's in food policy in City University, London. You know, I'm learning so much more all the time and I'm kind of feeling like I'm figuring out how little I know all the time. Now, 
She may say this, but Ruth has a myriad of experience in the food area because she was Secretary General of the Irish branch of Eurotox for over 10 years. And this is a European-wide organisation dedicated to promoting and protecting the culinary heritage. She was also a member of the European Food Commission of Eurotox International, a role which brought her regularly interacting with the policymakers at both EU and national level. Yeah, so we talked about Ireland's food systems and policies, Ireland's food culture, and it is really thriving like everyone says it is. Is it? Or should it come down to the brass tacks of accessible, healthy, nutritious food for everybody? Which it probably isn't. (laughs) We look at below-cost selling, industrial agriculture, where the hope and opportunity lies for Irish food and for the people. But first, let's look at that topic of food security and food sovereignty. Now, what is the difference here? Where should we be focusing our efforts? Where are the vulnerabilities in Ireland's food system at the moment? And why is the war in Ukraine highlighting this when it's a system that has been fragile for a very long time? I mean, really, food security is about, you know, all people having access to safe, nutritious food. You know, I think that that would be the kind of shortest definition of it um but you know you'd probably be aware that the economist does a global uh, food security index and you know ireland has mm. been i think 2021 ireland was like the number one country out of i think they they index uh, something like 114 countries or something and ireland has been number one but also just a few years ago singapore was number mm. one and okay. Singapore doesn't even have its own fresh water source. You know, they, wow. okay. you know, they um, have very unstable kind of political relationship with Malaysia, who they get fresh water from. Mm. And they're looking at trying to get fresh water from Australia. And they, you know, work on desalinating water and all that. So they don't have, you know, and they don't really produce, they produce almost no food because it's a city. Mm. So everything, you know, so, but based on, you know, the average uh, access to affordable food by the population, you know, they could be rated as being really food secure. And um, now their rating has has kind of gone down because they've brought in some more sustainability kind of measures into into that index. So, I mean, food security is, you know, what it in terms of kind of um, you know the international institutions and at government level and everything food security mm-hmm. is obviously a huge um focus and is the is what's what's talked about generally in terms of making sure that we have secure food supplies and everyone has access to to food um and it's obviously something you know it's hugely important and it's become all the more kind of relevant um and everyone's a lot more aware of it now with the you know Russia's invasion of Ukraine um mm-hmm. Um, but food sovereignty is kind of quite different and to me a really, really important kind of concept and where we need mm. to be kind of moving our thinking <clears throat> because food sovereignty is much more about, um, I suppose, who who controls um, food. And well, I suppose it's about agency, really. Um, mm. And it, it, it's about it, it was started by Via Campesina and they're um, a farmer and kind of, you know, land based labor led organization who are very much global um and so their focus is very much kind of i suppose on the production end and theirs is about producers having you know the farmers themselves having much more agency in 
in the food system and having much more control mm. over you know what they grow and how they grow and mm. all of that but I think food sovereignty can really be thought of as well in terms of you know us citizens individuals people mm. um and mm. really yeah having I suppose our our food system not being controlled by uh, the big agribusiness sector and by huge mm. corporations but actually um being much more driven by you know by citizens and by what citizens mm. want from the food system mm. um so there's a big you know difference in that regard because i suppose food security is much more about the end result of like we have this access to this food and um, mm. how that comes about is less important for food security which leads mm. into you know the issue that we are now starting to kind mm. of see in in Ireland um and it's not that we're only starting to see it lots of people have been talking about this for a long time but unfortunately um it hasn't had a lot of mainstream attention now, yeah. um yeah. but you know we're classified as as being food secure but we're actually extremely vulnerable um mm. because our food supply even though you know our government love to say that we can we produce enough food for eight or nine times our population first of all that's not really true um but secondly that production and all of that food that we export is heavily dependent on on imported imps okay so explain to us why it's not really true is it because of the type of food production that we're doing um or other reasons why why is that not true well so the type of food production we're doing is 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 problematic for sure but even um if we weigh up all of um what we import and balance it out with all of what we export we're not actually a net so um, what you mean by that is we import feed to feed the cattle to export the beef yeah being, absolutely being and of course yes. um so so if you think about it just in terms of um just in terms of calories then the calories that we import are greater than the calories that we ultimately export mm. yeah yeah um but then in terms of the type of food that we produce obviously that's that's problematic as well because while we're producing a huge volume of food and we're we're exporting a huge volume of food within the country are we able to like if we were suddenly cut off from everything would we be mm. right now producing what we need to eat and the answer to that is no is no mm. Which is a bit ironic considering that, of course, we can grow enough apples and potatoes and carrots to feed ourselves. Most people would tell you you can't grow vegetables in Ireland. Yeah, I find that such a funny one because, um, like, we're obviously so well placed. Well, Mm. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not obvious, but, you know, you look at the places that uh, most of the fruit and vegetables come from that are sold in our supermarkets. So if you look at the south of Spain and... Mm. you know you look at the you know kilometers and kilometers and kilometers of plastic um polytunnels where they're growing all these vegetables um mm. which obviously require um huge amounts of irrigation um and like we we our climate is better suited to Ireland is way of... better suited it's mm. way yeah. better suited to growing vegetables it's insane that that's an argument that's actually justified by people who affect decisions to do with that mm. you know and you hear it you hear people saying it all the time we're much better suited to dairy um and cattle production because you know the the climate here doesn't really suit vegetable growing like uh... we hear that stuff all the time but you know like there's just 
a huge, huge number of assumptions and incorrect assumptions that are kind of bandied around by mm. people in, you know, involved in like yeah. forming and influencing policy. Policy makers really. Yeah. yeah, that are, you know, that really need to be challenged. And there's a lot of voices that are trying to challenge them. But unfortunately, often those voices are kind of quite marginalized. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. We're not suited. Um, like what's actually gonna I'm sure everybody is asking and I'm sure you definitely don't have the answer but in your in your opinion or what what are you feeling about this globalization decline let's say of food trading in the immediate future maybe in the medium and long-term future as well Mm. um what are the impacts you're gonna that you could imagine seeing as a result of this Ukraine crisis yeah well it's it's interesting and it kind of <laughs> brings me back to your question at the beginning about um kind of whether what's possible and you know kind of about being optimistic or pessimistic about things because you know what's happening now is unfortunately we're seeing you know at a policy level um a lot of potential backtracking on commitments that have been made to, you know, to transition to more agroecological practices and to try and, um, you know, get us away from heavy dependence on on, on fertilizer and, you know, to reduce um, animal agriculture and, and all of those things. Now, those commitments haven't really been made and you know properly in ireland anyway but that that's it's you know coming from europe you know the farm to fork strategy has set that out but immediately the response um to the war in ukraine has been for you know vested interests and um some you know some of the uh the commissioners and everyone everyone kind of saying oh we need to you know we just need to uh you know subsidize fertilizer more and you know just go further and further into uh into this um you know fossil fuel based system that we have um but the the other kind of and more optimistic perspective on it is that like this gives us an unprecedented unprecedented opportunity to really like forge ahead Mm, with what we know we need to do yeah, 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 fix some problems. And to be honest, I think one of the the most um, the things that kind of has given me most cause for optimism was to see that you know the Farmers Journal had done a survey and seventy percent of farmers were saying that they were going to reduce um, their fertilizer use this year, and that I think about twenty percent of them haven't bought any fertilizer at all this year, and now they may not be able to afford to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And now suddenly they're all talking about you know clover and intercropping and using all of Mm. these methods that uh you know are agroecological um and yeah like sometimes we need to just grasp these opportunities and you know it's obviously it's a it's an awful situation that nobody would wish for and it's a real crisis on on so many levels not least for for the Ukraine, you know, for the Ukrainian people themselves, but 
-hmm. in terms of where we go to next with our food systems and in terms of where Ireland goes to, like we're being handed a really unique opportunity to just say, okay, now's the time to make these changes and to try and bring everyone along with us. Mm. Are we able for it? You know, we're like, it really really gets to me I, I nearly tweeted this during the week and then I didn't and now I'll say it anyway on your podcast but um it, <laughs> I try to I try to really think twice name before, and I, shame. before I tweet things but <clears throat> you know we constantly hear this kind of stick from from the IFA it, it's repeated over and over um oh, you know, farmers are willing to do their bit, you know, for the environment, but we're just being asked to do too, like we're being asked mm. too much and it can't be done and all the rest of it. And, you know, it really, really gets to me because like, I totally believe that farmers can do it and they're, mm. they're, they're yeah. adaptable and they're willing. It's also and being done properly. by a lot of them. It's being huh? done yeah. by a lot. Of, it's being done by a lot and of them. Oh my well. God. Like there's so many you know many what examples. I mean? There's so many cases like, of, yeah. So many cases and those farmers are not the ones who are up, you know, driving their tractors up, uh, protesting, and they don't have a voice at the policy table in the way that, you know, the big farm organizations do. But if you, you look at Farming for Nature, which is an amazing network, and they've got, you know, they're all over the country, these incredible farmers who are just doing amazing things and stepping outside of of this, you know, just situation that farmers have been dragged into of just more and more inputs and more and more cost and more and more borrowing and just to try and kind of step out of that loop and that cycle is, is, is hard and lots of farmers are doing it and they're amazing. So I think farmers are totally capable and very responsive. Of course they need, you know, they need the right incentives and they mm. need to be properly paid for the services that they're providing, not just for food, but also for biodiversity and everything. Um, so, yes, the capability is there. Is the political will there? I mean, I just don't. It's very hard to see any kind of like understanding at policy level in Ireland of what needs to happen or any like a sense of urgency um and unfortunately they just continuously kind of surround themselves with the same the same voices and the same um assumptions and Mm -hmm. the same uh knowledge you know it's Mm -hmm. like well you're not going to see my (laughs) inverted inverted um and yeah the same ideologies really because you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. Um, so the answer isn't uh, growing growing wheat. So the answer isn't growing wheat. Yeah. Um, I would say that's a limited part of the answer. No, I mean, certainly. But what is the answer like? Is there an answer? <laughs> There's no answer. Is there an answer? There's There's an answer. Could you just give us an answer? Right. Right. Like, <laughs> take, take out your magic wand yeah. there now for us, right? Yeah. Cast it over. What is it going to take? I feel like wheat is a good kind of proper resilient Irish food system what do we need i mean for me like one of the things that we well like we need diversity like if you want to sum it up in one word that's it and like that's not you know then there's loads of strands to that so of course it's still again it's not simple but we need diversity at every level in the food system and there's like more and more you know there's big international reports and 
tons of studies that just keep backing up how important diversity is in food systems. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we need diversity in in markets and in routes to market for producers and in act in 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 access to food for for citizens and you know so neighbor food is one of those developments and it's great and you know diverse um kind of food networks are really really important mm. we need diversity in how we produce we need diversity in what we produce we need much more diversity in terms of who's around the policy making table um and you know we need diversity in 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 business in 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 agri business um uh, we need a lot more um a lot less concentration mm. um i mean ireland has i know you spoke earlier jack about you know big big companies having like presence in 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 italy and i and i understand what you're saying completely like the scale in a lot of ways is different but um but we have like a lot of market concentration in like our supermarket sector is is highly concentrated. I think it's 70 percent of the market is for four companies mm-hmm. at 70 percent mm-hmm. of the market. Um, you know, the meat sector is highly concentrated, um, you know. So, yeah, di- diversity is hugely, hugely important. Yeah. Um, Jack, what what is a thriving food culture? Are we there yet? Do we have it in Ireland? Uh, <laughs> I I personally think I I think yes. I think it's absolutely um a, a growing. Like if thriving means it's growing, then I I think definitely food culture. I think interest in food is growing. I think the amount of people producing primary ingredients is growing. Yeah, absolutely. And we're very capable of growing here in Ireland. We have the climate, we have the resources. And as you said, we've just got an amazingly rich tapestry of food producers throughout the country. Sure. And Um, especially if you were to look at the artisan group in particular, which have always had these advocates, this cohort of people who have fought for sovereignty and, and food security. But if you look at that today, that's multiplied up quite a lot. And there's food writers, there are guides, there are chefs, there are food business owners who also shout that same message and are proud to say that things are being done right in those different areas yeah yeah absolutely i agree with you but i suppose we also have to look at the other side of it because you know there is this chance or fear that you know we might have lost that connection or or we could be losing it like because so much of our food is exported and this is a result of those global food systems that we're talking about or you know it could even come down to something much simpler like access for food for everyone in our society yeah and and i would say that that comes back again to policy so i guess let's go we'll go and ask ruth about access to food for everyone yeah absolutely and also i think we need to look at our restaurant culture because is our restaurant culture and that amazing salad and sandwich a genuine reflection of our food culture but in terms of like Ireland having a thriving food culture I mean I do think it's a really exciting time for food in Ireland and I think there's fantastic things and there's fantastic people um and I've been very you know been very lucky to be involved in that in so many ways and yet I don't know if we can say that we have a thriving food culture until 
that food culture is something that is within the reach of everybody and is is the norm and is and I don't mean that it's the norm that everyone can go out and eat in like fancy restaurants that's Mm. I, I couldn't care less about that to be honest I love restaurants but like you know I mean, yes, I think there's a really important social aspect to eating out, but like, <clears throat> you know, in the most kind of just for the conviviality of it, it doesn't really matter what what the kind of restaurant setting is. But I think until we can say that, you know, the most vulnerable in our society have access to kind of decent food and a sense of enjoyment from that food and that food mm-hmm. is something more than just fuel um <clears throat> that we feed you know children properly in schools that we feed patients properly in hospitals all of those things uh, to me a thriving food culture is is that is that is it, it's that good food <clears throat> with a sense of joy as well around it not just excuse me <clears throat> a good food that yeah that is as well as being nutritious, has cultural value and significance, um, is accessible to everyone. I think that's a thriving food culture. And I don't think that we're there at all in Ireland uh, yet. But I know that you're based in Cork when you were in Ireland, so you might have a different uh, a different view on that. And I do I do think that there's, you know, there's pockets of the country where that culture is, is is much stronger than it is in others. Um, and the other thing that I'll say on this is that w- one of the reasons I feel this as well is that there's such a huge disconnect in in food in Ireland when the people who were producing, the, like I live in East Galway, and so right now where I'm sitting, there's, you know, like there's a couple of dairy farmers small enough dairy farmers down the road there's a couple of sheep farmers down the the other direction those people are not producing the food that they or they're not consuming the food that they produce they don't even Mm. have any connection to it as food Mm. it is a commodity that leaves their farm you know in 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 a truck and is never seen by them again and then they go to Aldi to to buy their their milk and their 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 meat absolutely and everything else. like yeah okay so I, I wouldn't argue with anything that you said and yeah. I definitely see it that way as well the positivity that I'm talking about is from a slightly different point of view Completely. my my daughter my second daughter the younger one has gone into a school the same school that the older one went to over here before I moved here Ada my stepdaughter was in this school and I used to go in there and the kitchen was run by like nonni, you know, like grandparents and like fed way better in school than I feed them at home. And I am someone who loves cooking and I, I used to be a chef. Like I, I think I cook well. They'll never eat as well as they do from these grandparents. It's the beautiful cliche of Italy. My two year old is now going there and a catering company has taken over in the school. That to me is a slope downwards. For sure. You know? For sure. Um, food in, I work also in a, a hospital here and I, I help with uh, trying to sort out the menus and try to, to cook well. Everything that we cook in that hospital is real food that comes from scratch. Flour mm. makes pastry, flour makes dough, which makes pizza, you know, like no corners mm-hmm. are cut. It's, mm. it's, it's the best of everything. It's affordably bought because it needs to be because it's a public hospital, not private, but it is real food made by real people. Um, 
only I think because the people who own the hospital and run that kitchen care about it has is it retaining that way all the other ones are in decline mm-hmm. but in Ireland when you go to let's say um, a train station is the quality better or worse than it was 15 years ago <laughs> I, I, I honestly Whoa. I don't think it's any better. I don't, don't think you? so. Either. In in a train station, probably no. Not. I'm I trying mean, to I'm trying to think of somewhere no. super public. The train station in Galway has a Starbucks in it. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I absolutely believe that the standard of food has risen massively in Ireland. Like I think we have incredibly talented people working in food in Ireland. We have, you know, obviously we have these incredible artists and producers and in the time that I have been working with this sector, which is like 18 years or something, you know, 18 or 19 years now, um, that has grown and flourished and, you know, it's just amazing. Um, and we have so, so many more fantastic restaurants than we had you know 20 years ago and 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 all of that and I totally agree with you and I I think we've come on massively and I think we've come on massively in terms of just recognition um that what we have is good and is is yeah. worth the effort and can be even better and you I know, believe it starts there and spills down but maybe that's yes. way overly optimistic no I process. I no, I agree with that. I agree with that because um, there is always kind of a filter, a filter down kind of effect. And so I would be optimistic. And I, I, I think you're right about that, Jack. Um, I don't think it's it's fair. Like, I, you know, it's not fair to say, oh, yeah, well, that's just restaurants. And like, who cares? They're not mm. important. They are. And I think that, um, you know, when the top end really pushes things, it drives on the next wrong and the next wrong to get better and mm. better. And also one of the things that's quite exciting is that like the more kind of good high-end restaurants and things like that, that you have, the more you develop this kind of talent pool of people who sure. like I, what I see now is that there's lots of amazing Irish chefs who've kind of worked at the the upper end of the industry or have gone to other countries to work and they're coming back. And then some of them eventually are saying, you know what? I'd actually like to go home to my local town or village mm, and open Yeah, you a see cafe. it all the time, don't but you? But I will do that, yeah. like, and I'll be the best and I'll do it really, really well and everything will be, you know, the, the best quality made from scratch. And that's happening. That's that's really exciting to me because mm. then when you know that you can travel around the country and go to, you know, just kind of rock into... um you know Adair in, in, yeah. in Limerick where Wade Murphy has his restaurant now or go to you know a village in Wicklow and there's like an outstanding cafe that just has like really really good sandwiches and salads and things like that like mm. that wasn't there mm. 20 yeah. years ago uh, it wasn't there 10 years ago Here now. Um, <clears throat> in France, in 2019, they brought in a law that said that you weren't allowed discount food. And it's working. The statistics are there showing it. Allow the supermarkets discount anything else they want to pull people in, but you can't do it with food. 
And people will get very angry when you say that. They'll say, but food is so expensive. And what about people who need to eat and everything? Mm. But it's when you don't discount, food, like the discounting of food is, is just the dropping of one price and raising of another. Like the, mm-hmm. the supermarkets don't sit there giving away food for free. You know, like they're still taking your money on other purchases. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that that's something that could be considered at a policy level as a solution to a problem? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know that this week the IFA were calling for a ban on below cost selling of fruit and vegetables in and yeah I mean I think it can be one of the tools the problem I think is that well first of all like no no one policy works on its own mm-hmm. um and the other issue is that every policy has you know unintended cons- consequences so if you you know let's say you ban below cost that first of all yeah in principle i would absolutely agree with with not allowing below cost selling of of food um Mm -hmm. and particularly of food that people you know need like fruit and vegetables well really any food um but because uh, you know the cheapness of food is an issue and Mm -hmm. as you said people will say oh well it's not and there's a lot of people who still can't afford it and that's also true and we need to be really really mindful of that um but cheapness is like the big driver of all of the issues that we have in our food system and one of those issues and a major major one is you know the fact that we waste a third of the food that we produce and all of the resources you know all of the the water the land the the emissions the you know the transport etc etc that go into that the labor everything that are that are wasted and the impact of that um and a big part of why all of that food is wasted is because it's cheap and it's not it's because it's cheap exactly yeah. if um, it was more expensive yeah. it wouldn't be discardable in the same way it wouldn't Absolutely. um so it, yeah. so and i mean you know we all know that people now spend a much much smaller um proportion of their income on food you know than than we did in the past and ireland um is one of the countries i think we're in the top like three or four, you know, countries who spend least or the bottom, you know, that we spend less mm. of our income um, than a lot of our European neighbours do on on their food. Um, so, but, so these, so a policy um, like banning below-cost selling to me makes sense. But of course, then we have to safeguard people who can't afford nutritious food. Um, and, you know then you get into you know much bigger questions like should everybody be earning a living wage you know it comes to like food policy it it it's so broad and it impacts on everything and you can't just make a change in one area and without realizing that it's going to affect so many other things and Mm. um you know it's and kind of talking about averages and average affordability of food and everything is no is no good to the people who just who can't afford to put food on the table and there's lots of people in Ireland mm. who can't yeah. and that's going to get much worse in the next like it, within the next few months and certainly in the next year that that problem yeah. is going to really be exacerbated yeah and, and the I, priority order like if you double someone's salary they still might not actually have the money to give to food because it's going to go towards childcare, it's going to go towards health care or something else that is yeah. is required so it's not like as if you it's mm. it's just on the edge of being reached it, it, it could be a, an incredibly far distance away from being reached 
Where's the hope? Like, have we, are, are, are we going to do Where's it? I, I feel that, you know, there's a lot of kind of sadness about all these things that we need. Like, can we find the hope in this? Like, is there goodwill? Is there people who want to make it happen? Is there a community of people that can shine this light? But that there has, been, there there has been for a very, very long time and mm-hmm. continues to be. And I yeah. think that continues to grow. And that's not really in doubt. You know, I'm mm. relatively young. I've called myself young for a long time. How long can you call yourself young before you, by definition, end up you're not being young anymore? No, you're not young I, anymore. I, I'm not young anymore. I know. I, um, <laughs> but like, you know, when I, when I was very young i remember there being very old white-haired ladies who had devoted their lives to making changes that have impacts that are still going now long since they no longer do that um there are more market gardens and growers that have emerged now Mm -hmm. in the last two to three years even before covid um than there ever was before Mm -hmm. like the average age of farming in ireland 63 Mm -hmm. or something like that um i know a huge number of farmers that are way younger than 60 Mm -hmm. i know farmers in their 20s i know farmers Mm -hmm. in their 30s so Mm -hmm. i think that that is a factfulness thing that needs to be looked at what is the average age of farmers i would be surprised if that's not getting lower and lower like i think that it's becoming a little bit more um uh desirable i think to do something a little bit more like that and also for the first time and i've been buying from from farmers professionally for my food business Mm. since 2011 Mm. um and the options available now to buy as a food business to buy from farms okay cork is a bit more densely serviced Mm -hmm. Uh, part of the country but it's gone from like three or four options to 14 or 15 options mm-hmm. you know like that's a, a sheer fact and it spills and it works and these are sustainable these are happy farmers like these mm. people aren't on the edge of collapse bakeries that have emerged we did a, a thing about bakeries um in ireland what i love about bakeries as an example is that um good bread real bread came in it was about five times the price of bad bread it was considered a completely different product it was embraced it is affordable from the point of view of that it might be five times more expensive but it's 40 times more nutritious and it lasts for more than five times because you eat so much less of it because Mm. there's so much more nutrition in it and small micro bakeries are sustainable economically they work Mm. you know Mm. the the... i I think the um i think the the bakery example is a is a is a great one i I think that's a real yeah it would make you feel optimistic and give you give you hope kind of the way that that has taken off in ireland and but and for me the people who are really important are like people like joe fitzmaurice in in riot rye clock jordan who is obviously an amazing baker, but more importantly, has passed his skill on to like hundreds, mm. probably thousands of people at this stage. Um, mm. And it's that for me is kind of where the hope lies. It's it's in connecting like as much as possible, like make, you know, forming these networks and connecting all of the mm. people. You're right. Like there's loads of amazing people out there and there's people who can kind of bang on the drum for it for a long, long time. Um, mm. And there's power in be if like if we can kind of try and bring all of that together and really and connect mm. people and um 
like I mentioned farming for nature it's to me it's one of the one of the really most important things that has happened um in in food and agriculture in Ireland in recent times because what the narrative is so strong around kind of you know the status quo and kind of industrial agriculture um and they've really kind of managed to to kind of keep the idea out there that anything different is kind of elitist and niche and Mm. they really want everyone to think that like oh it's all about organic but organic's only for rich people and you know it's it's that's all just snobbery and elitism and and you know or that's niche farming or that's hobby farming and that's the put down like that's the way of just Mm -hmm. putting it over there and saying that's that's not relevant but the thing things like farming for nature what they have done is like they have shown that all sorts of farmers all sizes, all backgrounds are are doing these incredible things. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, oh, we're all sandal wearing hippies and that's only for, <laughs> you know, it, these are, they're just salt of the earth farmers all over the country yeah. who want to do things better. Um, mm. And they're showcasing that. And I think the more that we can just advocate, you know, link people um and show that like no you know not everyone accepts things as they are and not everyone will continue to just be kind of put in the corner one of the thing i find about the bakery as an example too is that it's like a gateway there's a a gateway drug effect of food as well which is that if you have a bakery that opens near you and you're excited because something new or if you live rurally and you you live on a very, very bad supply of supermarket food and you don't have nice things around you, but a bakery opens, you're suddenly not too keen about that jam on that you're buying, putting it on that really, really nice bread you've gotten used to. So you've gotten really used to the bread. Now you kind of might think about maybe exploring other nice things and it kind of gateways you into looking at all the different things you buy on a weekly basis. And a major problem in Ireland is that most of our produce, and this is a big, 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 problem why neighbor food wasn't you know isn't able to continue growing uh, at the speed that it would have been before which is that the majority of the produce that's made in ireland is luxury products Mm. and i'm not talking about the price Mm. i i mean they're actually luxury products Mm. the amount of chocolate makers and salmon smokers Mm. and all of it you can't eat these things every day it's not about Uh, how much money you have it's like totally totally agree with you and so veg milk bread eggs like we cannot find Yeah. these suppliers but why do you think in that most is cases. it's not financially viable not because those things are so cheap yeah yeah but but also it's a fundamental problem like it's a it's a it's a systemic it's a problem that comes from policy level because well, yeah for sure everyone who who like touches producing food in any shape or form is completely driven down the supermarket route the export mm. route they don't recognize alternative markets and alternative food networks so the minute mm-hmm. that you look for any kind of support you mm-hmm. are driven in down that that path um, yeah. and you are now you're a valid and recognizable and um uh, you know business with potential if you can produce something that has a long shelf life that can be packaged up nicely that can be mm-hmm. put on a supermarket mm-hmm. shelf that can be exported to a premium market um, but if you're producing something for your neighbor community. to buy, your community, yeah. nobody will support you. There's no framework to support people who want to sell 
eggs to yeah, their local 300 village. Eggs, 300 eggs a day rather than... Yeah, yeah. and that's exactly what we should be supporting. Mm. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm getting 12 pounds. Right. Well, that was certainly a bit of a mic drop moment there. Now, thank you so much to Ruth Hagerty of Chicken and Egg for taking the time to talk to us today about what is a difficult but very important topic. Yeah, thank you very much, Ruth. And I suppose uh, it's just interesting to kind of look into the way in which we all play a part in Ireland's food systems and which how each of them can actually pave ways to build more vibrant local communities and provide decent livelihoods for farmers and producers but create other jobs for other people and at the end of the day good food for everyone yeah absolutely so guys we'll talk to you next week and next week we are going to be chatting to the king of compost that is donal o'leary of waste down and cusp the cork urban soil project who is going to give us a few tips on diy composting in our own homes schools and communities this is your chance to make a difference if you've enjoyed listening to our the neighbor food podcast please give us a rating or subscribe to your podcast player and we'll keep these episodes coming cheers bye bye